Hello, everybody. This is uh, Movies on the Brain, and I am not your usual voice. You're normally used to hearing Brian C. Wood, who should be on uh, with us shortly. But uh, I am Chad Metz, and we are here today with uh, IGN's own Jim Vavina, uh, who visits with us periodically. Uh, Jim, how are you doing? I'm well, uh, Chad. Good to chat with you again. I always enjoy uh, joining the show and, and, and talking nerd stuff with you guys. And we appreciate it greatly. It's always a good time for us. Uh, so I'll just jump right into it with, uh, you know, what else? The biggest thing going on in movies right now, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, I'm sure you've gotten to see it. Uh, we'll just start with what did you think of it overall when you first saw it? Oh, I really, really enjoyed it. I need to, I've only seen it once. I got to see it again. Um, uh, it was uh for all the things that they had to juggle in so many ways it could have gone wrong and like just been kind of undone by fan service the fact that it worked as is really as well as it did i thought was you know i think is a very hopeful sign for the kind of very very comic booky stuff that we're in store for even more than an infinity gauntlet like just that we've gone full Marvel team up now is, uh, I think is very fun. Um, even, even as it seems to also reset Spider-Man enough that maybe going forward, it's not, he's not so much tied to the MCU. Maybe that's where Miles comes in and, and they, he becomes a new MCU Spider-Man and, and Sony holds on a Tom Holland's version. And yes, it'll all still be the same universe, but maybe, you know, he won't be at the forefront of it. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. <laughs> that, see, that your last point is um, the thing we've been talking about the most uh, in the last few days, um, particularly because um, before the movie came out, Amy Pascal had said that, you know, that they had lined up. They're doing three more movies, three more Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. And then after that, we get all the, the Holland interviews where he's saying he, you know, wants to take the time away. Uh, he wants to start a family and all those things. So do you, so you think that, well, I, do you think I that mean, he could, he could become kind of like a mentor figure, right. In a way, like, even if he's not, <laughs> you know, to borrow from a different franchise, even if he's not quite a Jedi yet himself, he does have, you know, far more experience than, then as we saw in No Way Home, even, you know, Toby and, and, and uh, Andrew's uh, Spider-Man had, you know, the fact that he's been to space and everything. So like he could, he could fulfill a kind of a, a, a smaller mentor role as they bring, you know, an even younger Spider-Man say in the, in, in the, uh, in the person of Miles Morales, you know, to the fore and, you know, and they could even, again, like, I feel like Spider, uh, I, I feel like, Spider-Verse maybe was sort of um, a template that whether or not it was intentional on Sony's part or, you know, could be sort of the, the roadmap for how they want to bring in uh, a multiverse that involves uh, live action Spider-Man, you know, and I think No Way Home definitely followed some of the same things that maybe you know that spider-verse did so well which was to 
you know, use humor to kind of mask some of the more wonky, like, wait, what kind of elements <laughs> and just help you, you know, move on past that. But, you know, I, I, I don't think it's any accident that, you know, they look at the success of, of Spider-Verse and just see ways that they can kind of, you know, um, follow that pattern maybe for live action. I don't think it'd be a direct, you know, like one-to-one, I mean, hell, who knows? Maybe I don't know. Maybe at some point it goes full Space Jam, Robert Roger Rabbit, and uh, uh, the next multiverse thing is actual like live action Spider Man interacting with animated Spider Man, and like who knows? <laughs> right. Well, while you were answering that question, uh, Brian jumped on with us. So, Brian, how you doing? Good evening, Jim. Uh, hey, Brian. So what were your thoughts on the Avi Arad credit? <laughs> uh, it felt a lot like um, uh, ways to stave off lawsuits. <laughs> and, uh, I, I think it was one, I think, you know, Avi deserves um, acknowledgement for, uh, you know, he was the original producer in those movies. And yes, I've I heard all the stories. I heard some back in the day. I've met the guy a few times. And Feige is definitely the one who brought Marvel Studios to where it's at. But Avi Arad, you know, yeah, he was a toy salesman who got lucky as a film producer. But that doesn't mean that he, he doesn't deserve, like, even if it is like some sort of contractual thing, like to get um, an, an acknowledgement that, look, if we're borrowing from three movies that you produced, actually five because he was a producer in the amazing ones as well with there was Matt Palmack but like you know they they have to acknowledge him somehow just because of um lawsuits right like he, he I'm sure there's something somewhere in a deal where it's like okay you're not going to get a producer credit anymore because of xyz reasons mostly money I'm sure or or just like going forward but you're going to get your nice own standalone shout out from us to acknowledge that, yes, you played, you know, a part in the development of this franchise that we're now taking to the next level and milking every past iteration of. So I kind of feel like they had to do that um, or, you know, <laughs> or we'll see you in court kind of thing, I'm sure. But I'm also sure like, you know, there's probably a lot of mixed feelings there between Avi Arad and Arad and and um, Kevin Feige, but you know there must be some. You know, Feige has acknowledged him in interviews before, and that you know he was Avi's lieutenant, right? So he does. You know, he we wouldn't have Kevin Feige if he didn't work for Avi Arad. So I, I do feel like he he earned uh, a shout out there. I just don't think they need him. Uh, they haven't needed him for a long time, you know, but it was, it was nice. Uh, so Jim, what were your thoughts on Hawkeye? Um, I know that you put out your ranking of the, uh, of MCU projects for 2021. Um, where does Hawkeye fit in that ranking? And, and what do you, what did you think of the series overall? <laughs> I forget where I put it in my ranking. I think I put it second or something. Uh, some, no, no, no. I put it like third or fourth. Um, I thought it was really fun. I enjoyed it. I've been watching it with my family. Um, and I think the the thing I like about Hawkeye is that it is 
it is both the the most accessible um, and yet also kind of like easiest thing about it is that it doesn't, what does it really ask of its audience, right? Like all you have to know is that Black Widow is dead and that he was Ronin. And then even if you've never heard of Kingpin, you can, you'll figure it out, you know, like, you know, they, they establish it enough on its own, but I thought it was a lot of fun. And I love the, um, the dynamic between Clint and Kate. I thought Haley Steinfeld was great. Um, you know, I think we saw the Vera Farmiga stuff coming a mile away, but, um, you know, I, I, I think it was a really, it was nice to just watch something that didn't necessarily need connective tissue to 48 other iterations of something, you know, like it was nice to just jump in there and enjoy the ride. And I think it was the most consistent of all the MCU um, Disney Plus things, even though I prefer WandaVision because I felt like if WandaVision had the most to kind of have to pull off um, in terms of just like, okay, Loki had been in all these other things and he was a more proven character in terms of being able to stand on his own. Whereas Wanda and Vision, you know, like, what did we really get to know about them in the past ones and how much did we really care? And, and like the fact that they were the first show out of the gate and they were doing something so weird and wonderfully different. Um, I think just personally enamored me, uh, you know, it was the thing that I, uh, the, the project of the MCUs this year that, that won me over most, even if it didn't, it wasn't maybe as consistent as say a Hawkeye or maybe as, um, you know, uh, trying to think of how I would phrase Loki, but I think Loki got by a lot on the the real nerd anticipation of how does this tie to the bigger stuff, and on uh, and I love the Loki Sylvie dynamic, but I think there was a lot of heart, and I really appreciated sort of the what what WandaVision was about, you know, about the grief and everything, um, you know. Uh, so yeah, and then I think the rest of the, the year in the MCU was a bit more of a mixed bag, but we sure got oh. a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what are you talking about, Jim? These these Marvel movies, they don't talk about any big themes or or have any emotional weight to them. They're they're just there's theme park rides. <laughs> uh, I I mean, I feel like um, I feel like the Scorsese thing at this point has almost become like uh, the most just the thing that keeps um, cropping up. And I, I, I blame my own uh, field for continually asking filmmakers, like, uh, I hope, you know, like um, at some point we can move on past it, but, you know, the, the, there is a theme park element to them. Um, that's for sure, but it's not the only thing. And I think that's where, you know, whether they're, people who just don't watch the MCU or, or like filmmakers like Scorsese, you might have uh, an outdated view of comic book movies. Like if, if, if you saw ones in the 90s, then yeah, I could get why you, you would understand that. But to, to watch the kind of stuff that the MCU has done, um, you know, you, you, there is more to it than all that. Like, I mean, Black Panther alone, like, 
uh, brought, uh, you know, so many, um, brought so many more people probably to the, the dance floor of the MCU because it was such a critically acclaimed film, the fact that it gets nominated for Best Picture. I do wonder how many people have discovered the MCU because they're like, wow, if this thing's getting Oscar nominated. And when I say, you know, people, I mean, people in the industry like that, maybe they gave the MCU a second look at that point. But who knows? I mean, I knew there's a lot of chatter about um, trying to get Spider-Man nominated for Best Picture, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. No. Uh, so, Chad, I yield my time back to you. All righty. Well, we'll move off of Marvel for just a little bit. And uh, there was another release this past week, which was uh, the revisiting of The Matrix. What's it? Matrix... Uh, Resurrections. Resurrections, yeah. yeah. So, have you had a chance to see it yet, Jim? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, uh, I wasn't. I wasn't nuts about it. I thought it was a real mess. Um, I, I liked. Um, I liked the the Neo and Trinity relationship stuff, and I thought there were individual elements of it. Like, I really liked Jessica Henwick and and uh, um, in the other supporting class, including uh, Yaha. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to slaughter his name, but, uh, you know, Morpheus and everything. And, and I just, I don't know. I thought it was, it had moments and ideas, some of the meta stuff, but it just, to me, it was just such a mess. And like the minute, what's his name? Lambert, Lambert Wilson shows up and like, is he was like one of the bad guys in the sequels and like starts screaming about getting oh, yeah. a spinoff or something. I was like, wait, what was happening? I don't want to watch this. Like, what is happening here? Um, but yeah, no. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I landed with it too. But uh like how I don't I, it it was so non-existent to me. I don't even know how it did this weekend in the box office and how people it, it not well. well. Yeah, it didn't do well. But not well. Like I believe Jim wasn't like twelve million. Over something the like that, where it's it's a. I know they could say it was HBO Max, but you know I was talking with some of my colleagues after we saw it, and in in you know some of them have kids and everything, and like really nobody under 30 and especially kids were talking about matrix it, to them it's an old movie and it does seem to appeal to people who were you know who love that franchise but you know the older audiences aren't going to the movies not in the numbers that they need to i mean west side story was awesome nobody went to see it you know um and then We've seen Nightmare that. Alley. Nightmare Alley. I mean, even even ones that weren't particularly good, but like like reminiscence, right? Like nobody went to see that. They probably wouldn't have gone to see it anyways. But it was just the fact that like anything that that skews middle age or older now, these people are staying home. Uh, they'll go for Spider Man, but you know they're probably going with their kids or whatever. And I don't know. I just I I, I think it's less you know superhero movies dominating the cineplex so much as it is adults just sitting it out you know they just you know if you can wait six weeks for something to show up on streaming why not like to save the money and everything i don't know i think it's 
Um, I, I think that's far more concerning to me is how do you get adults to go back to the theater? It's partly COVID. It's partly, frankly, people ruined the movie going experience before COVID. You know, there was fears about shootings, everything. Like there was a whole host of reasons why adults stopped going to the movies and it's not all COVID. And when COVID is finally at least receded enough uh, into the into the rear view for people to not have at the forefront of their thoughts, you'll still have the challenge of getting adults back into theaters. You know, I feel like it's a whole combination between streaming, security, now health, everything. You know, it's a whole host of things, including the content that's being put up. You know, as you, as you said on a previous podcast, Father Time and Mother Nature just kind of sped this process up a bit. Yeah, I think this was this was an inevitable sort of reckoning, but um, yeah, there's no one one factor in the demise of like the adult oriented, um, mo- you know, movies. I, I think it's a whole host of things that were contributing, and then just wow, the timing couldn't have been more um, uh, just more uh, uh, severe for the industry, but. We'll see what happens. I mean, look, if anything, you know, thank goodness for streaming. So at least those people can find those movies somewhere. Um, I think it was, was it P.T. Anderson or was it a different filmmaker recently said that they're thankful for streaming because if you made an indie, maybe it was Tom Holland actually who said this, I think it was, who said like, you know, some of these indie movies that he's done, like they would just come and go at the movies, but streaming people have a chance of discovering it in a way that they didn't before i think it actually was tom holland who said that um so yeah i don't know curious i mean hopefully you know it doesn't mean uh by the way you know streaming is not necessarily just an out and out savior too there's still plenty of crap that gets debuted on streaming you know it's you know and still plenty of great giant movies that play in only in cinemas you know so you know, there's enough to go around in terms of like, they only make crap in this field kind of thing. There's plenty of forgettable, you know, Netflix movies and mm-hmm. Apple and everything else. If that, that's any kind of art. When yeah. when so many people are producing art, it's, not all art is going to be great. Uh, yeah. Chad- no, just, not all art has to be, right? Like sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes, it, 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 you know, I... Doesn't have to be everything. You can't just have sugar in your diet. You got to eat your veggies too, your cinematic veggies. But every now and then, you you need a you know a, a pizza or, or a greasy burger or something, right? Every, like, every now and then, you need forever. a movie forty three. Yeah. <laughs> Chad. All right. Well, um, in that kind of in that vein, uh, with Warner Brothers and. Uh, like the reception of the matrix and their whole year of this day and date release stuff. They, they seem to have gotten away from that, but uh, I think they're falling in line with everybody else with the shortened release dates. At least that's what I think I've heard. Um, but they're in, they're in the midst of, you know, an, yet another acquisition. <laughs> so I, I'm just wondering, like, do, do we have a clear picture of what they're going to be going forward? Cause there's a lot of upheaval going on with them. And 
I don't rem- I don't remember all of their movies doing particularly well this year. Yeah, no, I, I, they are a huge question mark. I mean, just the fact that we know that the Batman is going to be on uh, HBO Max 45 days after its theatrical window is is pretty uh, pretty pretty uh, uh, amazing because if that movie is half as good as those trailers suggest i mean it could still be in theaters 45 days later like are you leaving money on the table but i think at this point the the necessity to to prop up your streaming wing and the continued presence of covid as a factor in in shutting things down or at least curtailing um uh, theatrical rollout is is it, it's going to impact so many things still going even into we probably won't get a real sense of things financially where they're going to stand until 2023 i'd say at this point like i, I think there's still going to be a bunch of like movies next year that'll have uh be impacted by covid and the residual sort of um anxieties of returning to the theater and the need to to make up money and ground lost in the last two years by pushing streaming. So um, hopefully the Batman um, is a big hit when it opens, and it won't be, um, you know, it, it won't be like a, uh, a dent in. That's not a two faced pun, by the way. <laughs> a dent in like Warner Brothers um, sort of plans for that particular franchise, but. Um, we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, uh, I think it is interesting to see the the as you as you put it, Chad, like just the shortening of these windows and even like no time to die, right? This huge international hit, even though it still lost hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, but like it's already out on digital. Like I just bought it the other day on digital, and the thing just came out in you know November. Um, a, a film that I really loved. And yeah. enjoy the fact that they had the Gagunzas to do what they did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, 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 Jim, let's get you out on this. Uh, the end of the year, uh, people put out their top ten list, their favorite things. What was the the thing that grabbed you the most? What was the thing that you enjoyed the most in twenty twenty one? And also, what do you think the current Oscar uh, Oscar outlook is? That's a good question. Let me start with the second one. First, because I, I feel like I, I feel like this is a year where I don't feel comfortable necessarily doing a top 10 because I missed a lot of movies because I there was that whole spell where the studios were only screening them in theaters for press and I frankly didn't feel comfortable going to some of those screenings so I missed uh, I missed a few films, um, but I'll, I'll, I think in terms of the Oscar race this year, I think if there's any major commercial film that probably has a fighting chance, it's probably Dune, not Spider-Man, because I feel like the Denis of it all, you know, he's, it, it, it lends it a weight that I feel like Spider-Man I think there's a lot of envy uh, towards Marvel and Disney and a lot of probably, you know, resentment too, in a way, but I'm not convinced despite it's, you know, huge critical and commercial success that Oscar voters are going to 
vote for it in anything other than technical categories, um, uh, Spider-Man that is, but I do feel like Dune has a shot, has a real shot at being uh, a Best Picture nominee. Will it win? I don't know. I really, I, 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 you know, there are a few movies I thought would really pop this year that did, like I thought West Side Story was that real 11th hour sort of like, oh crap, this could be the game right here. And then I do think, you know, I think Hollywood is attuned enough to, to be like, we need to, the Oscars are there to celebrate and tout the industry too. And it's tough to do that when, you know, the thing that was supposed to be the, your, your Oscars darling is just dead on arrival, but we'll see. I mean, it's Spielberg, I'm sure he'll push for it, but I don't know. I think it's, I think right now, I don't think there's any real clear favorite in terms of best picture. I think it's still a, a pretty good race. We'll have to see, um, how much stock the industry does put into underperformance of some of these movies, you know? Um, I, I feel like the only sure thing maybe is like Kristen Stewart, but even then I, I could still see there being an upset, right? Um, I feel like Belfast has enough kind of um, clout behind it that it could get, uh, that it could walk away with some um, walk away with some, you know, uh, big wins. I, I actually personally really, really enjoy that film. It, 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 um, my family is from Ireland, not, not Northern Ireland, but the Republic of Ireland, but I nevertheless, like there were a lot of things about, you know, when I was a little boy, um, the troubles were still going on. And so I remember that from the news and everything and just from family discussion. So I, 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 I connected with that movie in a way that, perhaps I didn't with a lot of other movies this year. And then I probably said one of my favorite movies this year was my favorite movie I saw last year that didn't end up coming out, which was In the Heights. <laughs> but I almost feel like I, you know, In the Heights feels like 20 years ago now at this point. So I don't think that's gonna go anywhere. Yeah, it, for me, I, I'm just amazed at how, di how, you know, diverse this lineup of potential nominees is in terms of, of genres, but also that you've got some of the biggest heavy hitting names in the industry who could potentially get shut out. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just amazing to me that Del Toro could follow up a Academy Award winning best picture movie with something that to me is equally as good, but may not get nominated at all. Yeah, uh, I don't think, I don't think that movie is probably going to, find much traction unfortunately i mean i i don't know what the conversation is around it in the in the voting circles or or i know some of the critics liked it but yeah i don't know i yeah. feel like i feel like people are gonna i feel like this year it'll be about like uh <clears throat> who do we owe whose time is it kind of thing you know and they'll be like, ah, oh, we just had Guillermo a couple of years ago. So maybe Jane Campion and Power of the Dog will get it. Um, although I gotta say, I wasn't nuts about that movie. Like I liked it a lot. There were things in there I liked, but um, it was, uh, yeah. And, and then there were a couple of things about the movie that just didn't really, uh, didn't really click for me all the way. I gotta watch it again, but yeah. And I also still wonder with that one about, the Netflix of it all, like, is, you know, I know we were talking about Marvel and resentment, but like, 
you know, it's, is there going to be less of a chip on Hollywood's shoulder this year because of COVID and they'll be like, ah, screw it, just finally give Netflix their Oscar? <laughs> or, or are they still like going to be, no pun intended, in the doghouse, you know, for being streamed? And, and that's, that's interesting to me also because they've come close twice and yeah. been denied twice. So yeah. be interesting to see. They're the Susan Lucci of studios. <laughs> they'll be... All right, Jim. Well, we thank you very much for your time and well, of course. for everything of course. you do thank for you us, uh, promoting the podcast and helping us grow. Um, yeah. And good news, I will be making a trip to LA in the spring. Uh, COVID oh, demand. really? Yeah. So, Fingers so. crossed. Maybe we can uh, we can finally uh, meet in person. That'd be nice. But yeah, let me know. You know how to find me. And uh, thank you as always, guys, for having me on the show. And I wish you all the best of luck and a happy new year. Thank well, you, we Jim. appreciate it, Jim. All right. Take care, fellas. Bye-bye. And welcome back to the Movies on the Brain podcast. Thank you, Chad, for standing in there for me for the first question. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wooden, with me this evening as my good friend and colleague. Chad Metz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. So, Chad, you live in a world in which a Batman trailer has dropped and made all the world remember that the Batman is a thing and that Batman and Catwoman are teaming up, not just on the Batmobile, but in re- <laughs> but in the movie itself. No, Chad, I'm never letting that go. <laughs> that has got to be one of my favorite like behind the scenes stories. Director gets mad at stars for having sex on the Batmobile. Well, I I, I need confirmation one way or another. I, I need confirmation if it did or did not happen. Uh, two. I kind of, I like I kind of forget it, but every time something pops up, particularly when I see Zoe Kravitz, I'm like, oh yeah, in the back of my head, oh yeah, that might have happened. And then I just kind of let it go. But of course, you can't ever let it go. And I find I'm gonna continue to be amused by that. The idea that like she got pregnant and that it could be the Batman's father <laughs> as the father, and it delayed filming for a time during COVID is just like. Well, the idea of Matt Reeves going and yelling at him profusely, just cursing him out. See, the poor this PA is, who found them. It's just a whole thing. Yeah, see, this is the thing about rumors. Like, you can take a, a, a kernel of what is true and you can blow it up. And, uh, like, I, I think it's plausible that they could have just, you know, had fun on the Batmobile. I think that's plausible. Um, being that it's been, like, oh 11 or so months since they finished shooting this thing and as far as i know uh zoe kravitz does not have a new addition to her family this is where you know conspiracy theories and rumors just take off and grow to these big epic proportions and we can laugh about them now indeed so what did you think of the actual trailer chad so look i'm so conflicted with this damn movie because i watched that trailer and it looks good. Like it, this looks like a good movie. It looks like a good version of a Batman movie. Uh, I, but one, I was struck the fact that you know it's it's the Monday after Christmas and it just like unceremoniously drops. I understand a lot of other people just drop movie trailers all willy nilly and stuff, but you know, um, they kind of made a mild event when. Sonic 2 dropped their first trailer. And here we are, WB's crown jewel, 
the Batman. And it's just like, yeah, here, here y'all go. Just have it. We're not going to promote it or anything. We're just going to put We're it. We're not going to attach it to anything. No, no. I mean, not, I mean, God forbid you put it on with a movie you have coming out in the theaters. Oh, wait, you just had one and you didn't attach it then. You dropped it two days after said movie dropped in the theaters. So it may have been the, attached. Uh, I mean, true, it could, it, it may have been attached to the people that saw it in theaters. I didn't see Matrix in theaters. I watched it uh, at home. So I'm glad you did. I am. But if I think if it was attached, we would have heard about it. I didn't hear anything about a Batman trailer all weekend, nothing. So that just, to me, it says that, no, we didn't attach it when we dropped the Matrix. And that, from a business standpoint, from a company standpoint, that makes zero sense. So that that was honestly the first thing I thought about the trailers. Like, what are you doing, Warner Brothers? Like, this is your biggest, this is your biggest movie uh, hell, not even of just next year, of the next, I mean, yes, of the next two years, this is your biggest movie. And you're just putting out this trailer with nothing. Like, not even like, you don't have to do the, I, I frankly, I hate the teaser for the teaser. You didn't have to do that. But they could have just announced Batman trailer coming on Monday. Create some buzz for itself, not just dropping it on there. So that that was my first thought. That was, but that's all you know. Warner Brothers stuff. The trailer itself. The trailer is really good. Um, I'm, I like the things that I'm seeing about this Batman and uh, how this story is shown out. But because it's me, I'm also torn because again, um, the way Warner Brothers does these things, this Batman, you know aside of it being separate from everything else again i can't take my kid to see this batman movie my kid who is now 13 i cannot take her to see this movie and there have been three four ish batman movies that have come out in her lifetime and i could not have taken her to any one of them and i think that's a problem i enjoyed the trailer i have full faith and confidence in matt reeves um, I love those two eight movies. I saw what he did with that franchise and with Caesar as a character and the way he worked so close with Andy Serkis. I like that he's utilizing the world's greatest detective aspect of the Batman character that's kind of been pushed asunder. I like the fact that he's using a what would appear to me to be a uh, a long Halloween type arc where you know villains have clues and Batman has to interrogate people to get the clues and and figure out what Riddler's really up to. Um, I can do without the Joker, please. Um, I had enough of that guy in 2018 or 2019. I don't need more of him uh, now as a different, in a different role and a different dude. Uh, so if they could not do that, please, I'd be thankful. And I think Zoe Kravitz is playing a completely different Catwoman than anything we've ever seen on film. Like she's doing it differently than Hathaway or Bat Barry or. Uh, or uh, Pfeiffer. So, I mean, I, I really like the way he's putting these pieces together. It's just, I have no doubt he's gonna make a great Batman movie. I have every doubt that Warner Brothers is gonna properly promote it and that it's gonna get the box office reception it deserves, being that it's in the first week of March. Well, uh, 
like for Zoe's Catwoman, I think what I think of as Catwoman, I think she's she's nailing it from what I've seen so far. And again, that's what goes with my whole tornness. I'm like, I'm looking at a steal of Pattinson as Batman right now. While I don't completely love that suit, I can see, I see him as Batman. Uh, and again, I'm with you. I, I believe in Matt Reeves. I think this will be a good movie. I think this will be a good Batman movie. And I think for a section of people, this will be, this has a chance to be like the Batman movie. It's just, again, I, I Warner Brothers, I, I've said it before, Warner Brothers has this thing where I, I really think they're ashamed of the, the IP they have. And Batman is the one thing that they kind of can wrap their minds around. And they can, and I think they view it as the IP that they have that they can elevate to this more serious stuff. And they pick the right people to to deal with Batman in, in that way. Um, and that's well and good. It's just I wish that they would recognize that, you know, uh, like like Jim said earlier in his piece, like you know, specifically with the Matrix. It, it's geared towards people that saw the first one, older people. And I mean, I don't think Batman is different because it does deal with comics and it does have cartoons, but still the biggest medium that you have is movies and you keep shrinking the base for the movies because you keep going, gearing towards uh, certain people. But with that said, as much as I don't believe in Warner Brothers, and, and it is a marked release. I still don't think they can. I think it's Batman, and it's going to be really, really hard for them to mess this up. If they mess this up, that's all on Warner Brothers. Unless the movie is terrible, which I don't, we, I don't think either one of us thinks it will be. If Warner Brothers can't get, if this can't generate them anything, that's all on Warner Brothers and not on, not on this movie. And I just think Batman's in a place where it's kind of like, you know, stupid proof. You just kind of kind of show up, put Batman up there, and it's going to do what it's going to do. So they'll fall as backwards into success without doing anything, the, the right things. So um, the month of February 2022 has Jackass Forever, a movie called Moonfall. Heard of that movie, Chad? Moonfall. A movie yes, in which a guy who should never have been allowed to make another movie after Independence Day Resurgence is like given more money to make another big budget uh, act into the world film. Because that's exactly what we need in the middle of a pandemic, an into the world film. Or a movie that's a comedy about how no one cares that the world is ending. Um, then it's Death on the Nile. Um, then it is Dog, the uh, Uncharted and Dog. Um, and then it is the outfit before the Batman. And then after the Batman is uh, the Disney movie uh, Breaking Red, I believe is the title. Um, yeah, Turning Red. Turning yeah, that's Red. The, the Disney yeah. movie. Yeah, the Disney movie is the week after. So I didn't... I. I don't I really don't expect competition to be a problem for it, even before I heard that that list. Um I, I think this should do in the same this should do in the same range as 
far from as No Way Home. Uh, I think, honestly, I think this is the next big movie we'll have on the calendar until uh, from No Way Home to Batman. I think, yeah. So I think those should mirror each other. I mean, you mean to tell me, Chad, you don't think people are going to be flocking to the theater to see Morbius? Man, <laughs> I actively have to remember that that is a thing that is coming out. And me and you talk about movies every week. Nobody else is paying attention to this. It, now, now, I will give Sony credit. They did the great, the right thing in sticking that trailer in front of Spider-Man. So all those people saw that and they and they did the correct thing of saying from the studio that brought you Spider-Man and the studio that brought you Venom. So you'd be like, oh, and it has a Marvel logo in front. So maybe all of these things work together. So maybe I should go see Morbius. That is the best thing Sony did. But nobody's gonna care. Don't it it doesn't matter. Um so no, nobody's gonna go see Morbius. People, I have been I, subjected to that trailer in front of every movie I have seen since September, sir. Well, see, I, well, because again, Ghostbusters is Sony, and of course they stuck it in front of that. Um, other than that, I think you just got a bad luck of the draw. Uh, well, I mean, Tyrese is really hoping that this franchise takes off so he can go right there with it and once Fast and the Furious ends. He, he, can't all, he can't pick winners all the time. He, he got lucky with Fast. I don't think he's going to get lucky with this, but, you know. So, so, so what you're telling me is you think the next big event film is going to be the Batman. It's yes. not going to be Moonfall, the movie where a moon literally falls from the sky. And it's not going to be the, the Marvel vampire movie that isn't played. It's going to be the Batman. And that yes. should keep people entertained until uh, whatever the uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yep. Yep. Uh, if trends are, if trends keep going the way they are, uh, we'll have that good low from now until March. And then the Batman, the Batman should do just off the Batman name alone. It should do a billion dollars. If the movie is good, more power to it. And then we're going to be back into the low until we get to uh, uh, Dr. Strange. And then hopefully by the summer we have like some some more um, clarity on and and therapeutics and and other ways to deal with COVID where things kind of pick back up to what we think of as normal. But like Jim said, I don't think we're going to have a a movie normal for a while. So I think it's just going to be handoff from comic book to comic book with these big with these big openings. And again, if, if WB cannot, if WB does not make a billion dollars on this movie, if it's good, that is completely on them. I'm just laughing because the uh, the box office mojo listing for Morbius actually has Michael Keaton listed ahead of Jared Leto. Well, I mean, you know. Who is now this... 50 years old, by the way. Jared Leto turned 50 this week. Um, so... <laughs> Here it, here's your 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 January. Um, see for me the three five five directed by Simon Kinberg. <laughs> Bell, the Scream, uh, the new Scream movie. I don't think they're calling it Scream Six. I think they're just calling it Scream. Um, 
been uh, the tiger rising, uh, the king's daughter, um, Crino and Morbius, Jackass Forever is February, Moonfall is February, Breaking Bed Bread is February, Dog is February, Uncharted is February. And that's all before you get to the Batman. And then April, post-Batman release, You Won't Be Alone, Easter Sunday, The Contractor, Sonic 2, Ambulance, which is that... Uh, uh, Michael that, Bay movie. Yeah, the, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie, yeah. Um, there's uh, the Fantastic Beast sequel. It, no, Fantastic Beast 3 is April 15th. Um, the Unbearable Weight of Unimaginable Talent is April 22nd. <laughs> and then Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of uh, Madness is May 6th. Okay. So I didn't know the Harry Potter movie was coming out. Yeah, um, so. April is actually pretty packed if you look at it because you've got Sonic, you've got uh, Fantastic Beast, and, and you've got... Uh, uh 65 which is an adam driver sci-fi thriller so it's it's got a few things in there there's an un, untitled universal event film also scheduled for april 8th but if we haven't had a name attached to that yet i would that ain't happening it's probably moving yeah so yeah that's uh so april might april might be the most normal-ish looking month we've gotten uh because i'm pretty sure paramount's not going to put Sonic day and date that would just be stupid. Uh, also, there's just no need to. But I mean, Peacock is what Peacock is at this point. It's you well, basically you pace it. I mean, uh, Paramount Plus, yeah, Paramount Plus. You you basically at this point have to rely on your your sports contracts and and your CBS Entertainment basically to carry that that uh, streaming service because it just does not have a ton offer aside from a hell of a lot of Nickelodeon nostalgia. Yep. Yep. Um so okay so we got Sonic. Um Warner Brothers is doing fantastic beats and they've already said you know Batman's only 45 days out. So I would imagine that'll be the same thing. No day and date for that. So yeah uh and Marvel has not been doing day and date for since Shang-Chi so uh, I think we're pretty set in like the biggest movies from March until March going forward we're, won't be day and date. So that's true. another up. surge where children are dying. Um, you know, I think we're we're in this place where we're going to be patronizing the theaters to see the big event films. Like I said, yes. look, man, look, man, I'm thankful. We had a good run there from like Labor Day weekend to the until Halloween weekend where I was in a theater every single Thursday. There was something new to see in the theater every single Thursday. And I was thankful for that, that low run. But you know what? Right now that's not the average, the norm by any stretch. Um and I toyed with the idea of a solo podcast and I still might end up doing it if I ever had the time off of work <laughs> to to actually process these things. But like I feel like the conversation around No Way Home and Ghostbusters Afterlife is, well, all they're doing is giving you a bunch of nostalgia, injecting it directly in your veins, and you're you're a sorry, sad sap because you're soaking it all in, and you're giving them all of your money 
when you should be giving all of your money over here to this very fancy, very artistic thing that, you know, didn't cost nearly as much to make that is vastly important to civilization. And it's like, those two things are not, not equal. Like, yes, there's nostalgia involved in both those films. And I am concerned, honestly, about No Way Home outsizing expectations, not just for the Batman, but for everything going down the line, because I don't want, I'm concerned about executives being like, well, if that movie made in-game level money, then all of our films should be able to go back to normal box office levels. And it just doesn't work that way. And like, there's still a surge. There's still a pandemic. The NHL's canceled games even through tomorrow. Like they were supposed to come back today. They still don't have enough uh, people cleared to play today. They have to wait till tomorrow. And they've got their biggest non-Stanley Cup event of the year, the the Winter Classic in Minnesota uh, at Target Field now threatened because that's supposed to be on, on Saturday. And now they're not sure that they're going to be able to do that, at least not with fans. So, like, you know, the NFL is putting players on COVID, players and coaches on COVID list all the time now. The NBA is, it almost threatened several of the Christmas Day games. Like, it is, it is everywhere. And, you know, it, it, in this climate, you can't expect what Spider-Man did to be replicated every week or even every four months. If Marvel can, if Marvel Studios can put out a, you know, a Doctor Strange movie, which is a sequel because the bill always comes due, but if they put that sequel out, they don't expect it to make two billion. <laughs> the first Doctor Strange makes what six hundred million domestic, if that. Somewhere around that. No, domestic yeah. probably, probably six hundred million uh, worldwide, not domestic. Yeah. So I mean, like it was toward the, it was in the teens as far as as far as uh, MCU box office. So you're not expecting that movie to make $2 billion. I mean, I'm look, I'm just as frustrated as anybody else that I saw Nightmare Alley on premiere night with two other people. And, and it was great for the three of us to sit there and have a conversation as we walked out the door afterward. But I wanted to go back and see the movie again. I haven't been able to because it's been down to ever since the premiere day, it's been down to one screening at 10.30 at night. And a couple of times those screenings have been canceled because they didn't have the, the workers to keep the theater open that long. So like I, like I am as upset about those things as anybody else, but I also understand the practicalities of where we are in this moment in time. And I, I just, I worry about executives doing the executive thing and looking at the, the, the Excel sheet, the Excel sheet and going, eh, these numbers, they don't add up. We should be making more. I, I hear you, and I, I'm actually with you on that. I think the smart execs, and you know, I don't really know who those are, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> will realize, you know, this we're in extraordinary times, um, and that's that's not how we should be focusing on things. And actually, they they've had over a year to figure out okay, how do we measure, if we have to put these movies out, how do we measure the, how do we measure monetary success of these things, given the climate that we're in? And as with a lot of things during this whole time, a lot, they, a lot of them seem to have just stuck their head in the sand. Now, there are people, uh, execs that don't really have to do that. Most notably Disney at this point, 
because their movies, uh, even though they're doing, they one, they can hide behind the, the Disney Plus of it all. But the ones that they let come out have made money. Uh, and the ones that they haven't done day and date for have made money. So of the studios, they are the ones that can, that are like, yeah, we've, we kind of figured out what, what our deal is. But now as the other execs, like, do they really take note of how their product is done? Or do they look at the complete landscape, which is, you know, is weighed down by Disney and say, no, no, no. We should be making more money here. Again, I th- I don't know who the smart execs are, but I hope uh, I'm I'm almost positive they're not at Warner Brothers. But outside of my bias, uh, I don't know who they are, and it it is a a genuine concern. Uh, I'm with I'm kind of with Jim on you know we won't really know what the landscape really really is for for a whole another year not. 2022 but 2023 and i would hope that those people making millions of dollars recognize that too but um you know capitalism and answering to investors has a way of making those people seem not as uh, bright as they really should be so here's here's a good example um, Universal has got its last movie out in the year of the year out right now. It's called you know the Sing sequel. Um, they start January with that with that uh, Kimberg movie, the three five five. They have another movie coming out in February called Marry Me, which is a uh, which is a romantic comedy. They have an Easter Sunday movie that comes out in April. They are the they are the studio behind the Ambulance movie. Um, they have a, a movie called The Bad Guys, which comes out in April. And then they have Jurassic World, The Black Phone, which is finally coming out in June. Minions, No Bros, Beast, uh, Descent, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, Halloween Ends, Ticket to Paradise. She said the the Fable uh, the Fablemans, which is uh, which is the uh, um, Scorsese, not Scorsese, the uh, Spielberg semi-autobiographical film, uh, Violet, A Violent Night on December 2nd, and then they have untitled Super Mario Brothers film scheduled for Christmas next year. But like, several of those they've already posted on uh, will be available on Peacock and streaming day and day. So like, they're not, they're not, they're jumping in heavy, but they're one big main event film of the year is Dominion, the third Jurassic Park, fourth, third Jurassic World movie, sixth Jurassic Park movie, and that's in June, and that's their big player. Other than that, it's small films that could be disposed of fairly easily. Well, that's, uh, hmm. So every, I mean, everybody has their big movies they're probably trying to hang their head on, right? Uh, so they've got Dominion, uh, I'm not going to count Disney because they're just always big movies. Um, Warner Brothers has the Batman and they have Harry Potter and the Flash, I believe, all come out this year. Uh, and I don't know what the hell Sony's doing because I refuse to well, count more Unchart- Uncharted would be considered that, right? 
because they've been trying to get that off the ground for how many years now? And they've gone through how many directors and how many iterations? Well, I see what Uncharted, I understand, especially with the cast that you have, and that it's, a, it's an established property, a video game property. And while video games are the most profitable form of entertainment in the world right now, most people have no idea what Uncharted is. And because of that, I don't think it's going to move as well as they thought it would. Like pre-pandemic, um, you know, you could have marketed as, you know, Indiana Jones with Tom with, with Spider-Man in it. And that's probably enough to get people in seats. And if they like it, word of mouth spreads and all that stuff. But in pandemic times, it's not something that's known very broadly. You'll probably have fans of the game go to see it. Uh, people that see Tom Holland's like, oh, it's Spider-Man. And that will probably be enough to get them to go on the normal time. But are they going to do it now in COVID times? Or will they be like, okay, I'm going to check that off. And as soon as it comes on, uh, I can rent it digitally. That's what we're going to do. So that I, they could have been banking on Uncharted being that before. I don't think they can now. And if they're smart, well, I mean, there's the here's your answer. I know what it, it's uh, into the uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part One is April. That that's 2023, though, right? Uh, this this listing on their official on the website says uh, April eighth, 2022. Oh, for real? Okay. Uh, I mean, you can really? double check that, but that's what I'm seeing on IMDb right now. Uh, that would be granted, interesting. Now, now, granted, I'm not behind. Uh, I'm not behind the paywall, but you know, <laughs> maybe the actual release date is behind the paywall. Let me see, because that would that would be interesting in the fact that uh, four months then, later. That and well, not even that, uh, because you know, I'm excited about Sonic 2, and I know that's the day Sonic 2 comes out, and both of them cannot come out at the same time because that is just stupid. Uh, okay, so I'm I have I'm looking at the wiki for it, and it says October 2022. So, well, even if that's correct, that's still a 22 release, yeah. Uh, so that could be the, I mean, that could be their big thing. Uh, I, I don't know something, something about Sony hanging their hat on an animated movie doesn't seem real Sony like to me, but the reception to that first one and coming off of this live action Spider-Man movie, it should do much better than the first one did financially. Yeah, I mean, I think the anticipation is going to be huge. Just off that first fifteen minutes that was shown, they did that this, they did that last time, and it generated huge buzz. I mean, everybody's looking forward to that. And now with the live action version having being done, people can be even more anxious to see Miles Morales. Yeah, so yeah, that's. I think that's going to be their big one. Hopefully, that's their big one, but. Uh, I mean, I, I like Uncharted. It could be could do well because it's February. You know, it's not like a huge packed month. Um, certainly, I think it'll make more money than Moonfall. And if it doesn't, then something is very, very, very wrong with the human population. Um, but you know, 
it'll it'll be interesting. I I think that as you said, every studio that's not Disney has at least one major temple they have to lean on for success. So I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see again been pending surges and things what happens. Yeah, uh, this it's. I know we said it last year going into this, but it, you know, we're back to more interesting times seeing how all this pans out. I mean, that that's fun and interesting to me is, is, you know, how do we get to this place where we find this happy medium between films being released in a safe way and studios making studios and theaters making the money that they need to survive and stay open. And I still don't think that after 24 months of pandemic, a little, just a bit shy of 24 months of a pandemic, we haven't, I still don't think we've yet mastered that balance. Um, It's just rough. It's rough because like I said, um, there are several movies out there that like The Kingsman came out last week. It's down to three showtimes. I mean, you know, it's it's just, it's not always easy. I used to love the fact that when I was working these 14 hour days um, in 2018, 2019, that I could I could take off, leave work at, I get off of work at 9, 30, 10 o'clock and still make a 10, 30 screening of the opening night of whatever movie. That doesn't exist anymore. You have to hit the, you have to hit the six, the seven o'clock or it's nothing. Um, and, and a lot of that is just staffing issues at the theaters. You know, it, it's it's a real concern. And, and the, the reason I brought up the Oscars with Jim isn't just because I know he's knowledgeable about all film, but also I brought it up because like, what is that going to look like? It's a celebration of film and a celebration of theatrical exhibition. They had to run the homeless people off to take over the train station last year. Like, what are they gonna do? And like, what are they gonna award? How are they gonna get traction? How do you, like, it's one thing to do it after 9-11 where you're five months removed from what happened and you're doing a very fairly low-key for you, low-key ceremony. It's nothing when it's during a pandemic and people just aren't going to see your stuff. So like, it's just, an interesting place for the industry to be. Um, have you, uh, do you watch Nathan's show? I've heard, yeah, I, I do. Okay, because the, uh, for, for those listening, uh, our buddy Nathan Velasquez, he has a, a show, Five a YouTube show. Critic. Yep, and he does, he goes live every Friday and I listened to the one from this past Friday, yesterday. And, uh, you know, his whole thing has been, the waning importance of the Oscars and like a big premise part of his premise is that um, it keeps like it keeps rewarding these movies that yeah while a lot of people may a lot of people in the industry think highly of them most people don't even know what they are and it it kind of depends on who you listen to people talk kind of talk down on the more popular movies and prop up the Oscar movies that nobody sees, which in turn makes people not pay attention to the Oscars. So what what good is the Oscars if it's turning off most people? 
and that that's what that's kind of what this goes. And you know, I kind of want we I hope one day we can get Nathan on that like go real deep into this. But like in that same in that same vein with the way things are right now, um, most of your Oscar movies, most people are going to theaters anyway. Most of your Oscar contenders, most people have not even heard of. Like Jim said, what was supposed to be the Oscar darling and should have been a what we would have thought would have been a bigger movie, West Side Story, dead on arrival. Nobody saw bad, it. Bad year for musicals between yeah. In the Heights and West Side Story. Yeah. Two I still highly anticipated fan films that just died. Yeah. And I, I still haven't seen West Side Story. I've seen In the Heights. I like In the Heights, but yeah, nobody went to see those things. But when it comes when it comes to Oscar time, yeah, they're gonna push West Side Story because again, it is Spielberg. And nobody's gonna talk about the movies that people actually went to the theater to see this time. And, you know, I love Spider-Man. You can think what you want about it being like nominated for the Oscars or whatnot, but no recognition of that movie and what that movie means to the industry right now in the Oscars is going to not play well with most people that have been like, well, we know this movie made a billion dollars. We, because of COVID, we know nobody was going to the theater, but everybody went to see that one. And y'all are telling us that one is not worth even mentioning. So I think that's going to drive this thing even further down into, well, why are we doing this? Why are y'all doing this? If you're pretty much only talking to yourselves about these movies, especially in a year when we can definitively show people only went to the movies for a handful of things and y'all don't like any of them. Because it's not the best picture of the year. I mean, it's the best drama. It's one of the major problems I've had with the Academy for the last 15, 20 years or so is that you can studio. There were a whole studio arms set up to literally do paint by number Oscar bait, like literally just like put films together for no other explicit reason than to try and get Oscar nominations. And they could do it because they could, all they had to do was follow the formula from what got nominated the previous five to 10 years. The Academy did that to itself. And the thing is, it's not like, you know that if you do a biopic, if you do a drama, if you do a current events pick, um, if you have a great lead performance from a well-known actor, if you have a great lead performance from a, a well-known actress, um, and you get good, even a good to decent awards campaign behind it, you're gonna get them nominated. And the thing is like, I absolutely love Nightmare Alley. I love uh, Power of Dog. I, I loved Parasite a couple of years ago, you know, but, I loved Atonement back in the day. No, no one's like, like that's not going to appeal to a mainstream audience. You're not going to drag your, your grandma to the theater during COVID times to go see a two and a half hour movie uh, based on a novel from 1924 that five people have heard of. You're just not going to do it. Even if it does have an amazing Bradley Cooper performance and an amazing Cate uh, Blanchett performance as if that lady ever does anything, it's not amazing. Um, you know, and then you get to the ones that are like in the code, like in on streaming and on Netflix and there for everybody to see it's, it's things like don't look up, which are just like, okay, like you're appealing to the absolute 
base like horribleness of human beings saying that like we're so self self-righteous and self-conscious and wrapped up in all of our social media and all these other things that we could be told that an asteroid is coming to hit the earth tomorrow and we'd be like yeah but let's not worry about that thing let's worry about what's trending on twitter like literally the dude depicts a female president of the united states saying yeah we'll sit on it wait and see can't really tell people because they're going to panic and we don't want them to panic so let's just yeah chances are it won't happen like really dude like again it's a comedy and you're trying to to do farcical stuff but like you have to appeal to the worst of humanity and be like we wouldn't give a shit we just let that comment hit us and we wouldn't care because we're so wrapped up in all these other things like really dude that that's your opinion of humanity now like can we not like do the apollo 13 or the armageddon thing and like bind ourselves together and go drill the asteroid to death i mean come on now yeah so i'm i really don't know where no we've been saying it for a while we don't know where the oscar goes from like where the oscars are going but particularly this year i i think not not acknowledging something besides what people consider oscar darlings is going to be um it's going to be a kind of a slap in the face to the to the mainstream audience you get to a point where it seems like all you're saying is the only genre that is important or matters or means anything the only drama in which genre in which true art can be made is drama yes it's, it's not comedies it's not musicals it's not big budget cinema it's not sci-fi movies it's not action movies they don't even have a category for best on performance like it's none of those things. The only thing that is great art is this small little bubble of drama. And it's not even like genre as a whole. It's a very particular kind of subset of genre, uh, of drama that is important to them. And that's the problem. Film is more than one genre. It is a diversity of drama. It is more than just one story. It is a diversity of stories told from a diverse point, uh, an infinite number of points of view about infinite an infinite number of, of experiences that make up who we are as a humanity. It is art in its purest and, and dearest form in the visual medium. It's not one subset of things. And the hope was when you diversified the body by letting a whole bunch of young people in, that that would grow the, the, the IP, the, the, the horizons of the academy, and then you get more things like what, like the, the um, Black Panther, or you would get more things like like that, and you just haven't. You know, the extended body has been in place for eight years now, uh, for five years now, and we've still seen just as many, you know, dramas as anything else get nominated. And and because of that, I, it's not even enough of these other movies to be nominated because people view those nominations as, you know. Um, token nominations are we're just giving you this to shut you up you're never going to win uh, you get the nomination but you're never going to win so they honestly have to like nominate i'm not even saying like spider-man but they need to they have to nominate something that the broader audience has seen and, and resonates with them and it has to win substantial awards but uh 
they've they've put themselves in that corner. Uh, but I don't know. I, they've shown no signs. Like you said, we've gotten we've uh, had the reshuffling of the uh, of the uh, what the committee. I forget what the actual name, but uh, and we're still sitting here saying having these same these same conversations. And if they don't do something, and I think this could be the year that really trips it off. Even though last year kind of did with the 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 actually almost bottoming out of the ratings. If they pull this stuff again and only nominate a handful of movies that nobody has seen, nobody's going to turn in to watch, and it might be too late to turn the tie back. But also, as Jim has said before on our podcast, it's really, truly, at the end of the day, is an ABC problem. Because the Academy could just go back to doing this as a long-form luncheon in Hollywood with the results posted uh, in a hotel in Hollywood with the results posted online afterwards. But the Academy is just really, it's the industry awarding itself. Um, They could just do it in a ballroom and no one would know until the results were posted. The only thing they, the only reason they even started the telecast was revenue. Oh, people might be interested in this in some form other than radio. Okay, well, we'll sell you the, the media rights to it for X amount of money. Oh, okay. Here you go. And they took the cash and that was it. And that's ever since then, that's what it's been about. It's just an additional revenue stream for the academy so they can do things like build the museum. <laughs> you know, and fill their coffers. Like, it's not, they they don't have to televise the thing. They just choose to. But, the, I, but then not televising it is like, it loses the prestige. That's, that's part of the prestige. That's part of the prestige with all of these award shows is that you get to put on for your, your craft, as it were, uh, for the biggest night of the year. So really, Chad, because they were going to cut acceptance speeches for the for the technical for, for the artist categories and just just do the big boys. But it, it's still on TV, so it's still like we still this is still our prestigious night. Even though yes, we're not letting people talk because we got to keep it going, keep it going. But you cut it off the of TV, or or hell, even worse, you put it on some uh, podunk channel, it loses that that cachet and. There's no really, there's no getting it back. So if it really, if it really boils down to an ABC problem, where it's like, this thing is just so much of a rating strain that we can put on reruns of The Bachelor to do better than this, then the Oscars, I mean, they can have the awards however they want, but it's effectively done if you're taking it off of ABC. And it'd be interesting to me to see what kind of, in this era of, of, of entertainment where everything is streaming it would be interesting to me to see if those rights i think those rights left in 2025 i want to say um it'd be interesting to me to see if they do leave abc who can go on the open market who would be interested in what conditions they would put on the academy for acquiring i would be yes i would be curious to see who would want it to uh I don't know. I, it would be it would be some studio banking on the name of the Oscars helping them out, but the past I mean, you know CBS decade, is the only one. CBS is the only one I could see doing it. 
because ABC still has sports and other things to draw people and NBC has the Globes and, and uh, or had the Globes and, and they now may need an award show. But they also have the Primetime and Daytime Emmy Award. So um, Fox may need, may need, want it. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it'd be interesting to see who would be interested and how much money they'd be willing to offer and how many years of contract they'd be willing to offer. Because I would almost guarantee that no, no, no network would go to them without parameters of what they need changed. Yeah, but, you know, you say CBS and with their demographics, because CBS skews like overwhelmingly old, it might be the network most fit for the Oscars, uh, you know, older, whiter. It kind of, it, it just seems like that would be fit for something that doesn't want to change and wants to just keep the same kind of, uh, same kind of audience. Um, and most of those but then, but then, like to another one of Jim's points, adults aren't really going to the movie, so that pool of people that are seeing the movies gets even smaller when you go up that high because they're like, "I'm not going to see any. I'm not going to the movies for anything. I'll just see it when Dude, I had see a, it." I had a guy in my Spider-Man screen last night, said, or yeah, last night or Christmas Christmas night, say that he hadn't been to the movies since 1995 when he saw the Flintstones. Jeez, man. Yeah, that and I mean, I'm I'm 40, and I don't consider myself old, but um, I'm I I go to the movies more than most people I know. That's probably my age, and it only gets worse the further up you go. So, yeah, an old older people going to the movies is a problem. Sticking it on CBS while it felt it feels like a fit. That audience, they'll probably they'll probably watch it because they're used to the the concept of the Oscars, but they're not gonna they're not gonna know the movies that come out because they have they don't go to the theaters, but they know they don't go to the theaters, so they might just be comfortable with whatever just watching the show of the Oscars. Whereas, you know, you're counting on old people to just have something on in the background to make yourself survive. Do you know what CBS is? My, <laughs> My my aunt is eighty years old. She watches a lot of CBS. I know she what. She watches Magnum PI, but she can't tell me all the time that she's watching Magnum PI. She just knows it's on. She knows the characters. Why? Because it's just on while she's doing other stuff. That is the life of a CBS viewer. So they'll they'll be like, oh, the Oscars. They'll put it on. It's on Sunday night, and it's just, it's different from their normal stuff, but it's on in the background, and they're cognizant of it but they don't really care because they know they haven't gone seen anything but it's the oscars and it's on my channel so let's go with that it's very interesting chad this is also your reminder that suicide squad is an oscar winner that is correct i forgot i keep forgetting about that all right chad that'll about do it for this week's podcast if you want to keep up with this podcast you can follow jim on twitter at jim david i am at at bcw tiger fan at the Mets Theory. Thank you very much. And uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not um, Brian Kelly is in the Superdome in attendance tonight. Thank you very much and have a pleasant evening.